you know, we all forget things. We all put things off. You know, it's like those are those are all natural. But it just takes that much more, you know, when the motivators aren't the same as other people, right? When you, it just takes that much more dopamine in your brain to get you to take the next step. And so you start to question your abilities. You start to question that it's something wrong with you as opposed to something that works differently in your brain. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Webflow, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the greatest failures behind the greatest webflowers, because success often comes after learning from many failures. I'm your host, Jack Redley, a failure connoisseur, and today my guest is Penny Olorenshaw. She's the chief builder for Build Marketing and co-founder of No Code North. She's a Canadian Webflow MVP, having helped set up various events over the years. Before this, though, Penny spent 18 years in Canada's dance community, working as a stage and production manager with some of Canada's finest ballet and modern dance companies and schools. She has a fascinating story into how she got into Webflow. We'll get into this during the episode. Such a powerful episode. So without further ado, embrace and learn from failure in episode 24 of Webflow with Penny Olorenshaw. Penny, welcome to the Webflower Podcast. Thank you, Jack. It's great to be here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, same. I mean, I've been digging into your fascinating career. As everyone just heard in the intro there, you spent 18 years in dance management. But can you just give us a rundown of how you transitioned from that into marketing and finding Webflow? Well, as a kid, I always kind of liked laying things out and organizing things and getting things to line up. So I was always sort of in the back of my mind, you know, should I go to design school? But I can't design. I'm, that's not my strength, right? And perhaps I should have gone to design school, but I was just a little afraid that I just wouldn't do very well, that I might just fail at that. Leaving the dance world was sort of about just trying to find a new direction. I didn't feel like I wanted to go further or that there were, you know, the kinds of jobs that were available. I'd already been doing that dream job that I'd had for a long time. So I didn't really want to move up into a bigger company or into a more advanced job. I I just didn't feel that that was really where my strengths lay. And I decided I had left once before and then actually just freelanced as a stage manager for a number of years and then went back to the company that I was at for most of that 18 years. But the second time I decided it was like, no, I need to make a change. I want to be able to travel where I choose. I saw amazing places, but I got to see so little of them because I was working all the time when I was in these great places. I got to meet great mm-hmm. people, but I didn't I didn't have that sort of self-propelled choices to where to go. And so I thought, you know, I'd like to have a different kind of experience with traveling. Um, And I've had some, not as much as I'd hoped, but there's still time. And uh, I ended up going into working for an audiovisual company in the administration side, but it was still working with technicians, with people that put on shows. I even stage managed a couple of shows, but I was working in the office, assisting the uh, the president. And and it wasn't my strength, first of all. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we wanted to move out of the city into the country. And uh, finally, I was like, well, what am I going to do if we move out to the country? I don't want to just go get another job. And so I discovered through that job, I had a chance to work with a Photoshop and Illustrator and whatnot and thought, I like this. And this is kind of back to that, you know, laying things out and making 
you know, making boxes fit together. And I found a course and decided that this is what I was going to do. And we covered HTML. We learned how to build websites and tables. <laughs> and this was a long time ago. So we moved out to the country and I thought, okay, I'm going to start a business. But I didn't know what I was doing. So I had to spend a long time learning, you know, how to build websites really on my own more than anything. Mm -hmm. But bits I could find online, this was 17 years ago. So you know, and the, the things that I could find online, the books that I could buy, I have a lot of books. I haven't read most of them, but I do have them. <laughs> a lot of reference material. And, and, and slowly sort of connected with people out here, you know, joined groups, met people, found clients, and sort of trundled along for a long time. And then Webflow showed up. I had joined a, an agency sort of group you know, people, uh, it was like a fellow who ran courses for people that wanted to expand their agencies and build. And uh, a lot of the people actually worked with Adobe Business Catalyst, which was this sort of full on anything you need to do. We have the bits and pieces to do it. And, the, and Adobe was shutting it down all of a sudden in the midst of everybody having built their whole careers on it. And so people started going out, trying to find other options. And one of the ones that came up was Webflow. And it still took me a couple of years because I wasn't working in Business Catalyst. So that wasn't my issue. But I finally started working with it about nearly four years ago. That's an amazing journey towards, towards Webflow. And coming from dance, one might think, oh, that's a completely different skill set. But I actually read on your website, um, and I absolutely love this quote, you said, just like a performance, a successful project comes out of a solid, repeatable process, which is flexible enough to adapt to current conditions. All your experience organizing, managing, that certainly plays a huge part as to, you know, ensuring your client's success, I guess. Well, it does. But it's also that that flexibility to understand that every client and every job is different, right? One of the one of the reasons that I put that in there is that when you're in theater and and because I worked in dance, we did a lot of traveling. Right. And so we'd go into a theater at eight o'clock in the morning. We would know in advance you know, roughly what we were dealing with. There'd been a, you know, a lighting plan would have been sent in advance and we knew how big the stage was and things like that. But there's always things you don't know. And you don't know about the people you're going to be working with. How skilled are they? Have they ever dealt with your type of equipment or your dance or, you know, how much you're going to have to clean the floor before you can even roll out your dance floor because they took down a theater show the night before and there's nails all over the place, right? And so you, you learn to make, choices and decisions based on you know what's what's in front of me today right but sometimes those those troublesome situations turned into the best performances the same way as you know sometimes a, a difficult project turns into your best final product that can so happen. i guess what you're saying is like you're working out you know what the process is to actually you know ensure success but then you've also you know as much as you might have a plan, that plan might have to be adjusted uh, depending on what nails are in the floor of the client's project, as it were, I guess. Yeah. And being flexible to know that you've got a structure to make sure that everything gets done, but that, you know, it may be, it may have to flex a little bit. Yeah. To definitely. get there. Tell me about No Code North then. Like what mm -hmm. was the inspiration behind starting that and, and how did that come into your life? Ah, well, so you know that a lot of us are on FinSuite streams a lot, right? Mm. And and actually, it's funny because before Rymar got into Webflow, I had actually followed him 
for a while yeah. and was getting his emails. This was like years and years ago, right? He wrote this big podcast or not big uh, blog post that blew up, right? And I came across it at some point and went, wow, this guy's really interesting. Started following him. And then I kind of mm. let it go. And then when I got into Webflow and then all of a sudden there was this guy and I'm going, he's got such a recognizable name. It's like, of course, that's got to be the same guy, <laughs> right? And so he went to FinSuite and they started doing the FinSuite streams. And at one point they were talking about building communities, right? And that's a big thing for Rymar. And one of the fellows in the chat who knew I was Canadian and I wasn't certain whether he was, I think, I think at some point we had figured out just through chatting. And he said, he sent me a Slack message and said, should we start our own group here in Canada? I was like, well, possibly. And we found Maggie and she was all into it. And, mm -hmm. and so the three of us, uh, you know, sort of put it together as a, a way to, to focus a little more attention on the Canadians. There's some amazing Canadian designers and developers. We don't even know them. You know, they've been working with Webflow for years and I go digging through the experts and it's like, oh, that company is that agency, you know, but nobody's, you know, nobody knows about them in the bigger world, but we've had some stars like Grace Walker and Joe Moore. And, uh, and then we have our, our no code people like um, Aaron Kornblit and Connor Finlayson, right? So, so being able to kind of promote that and also just to connect. We're a very big country with a very small population that is stretched in this little tiny line across the country, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so to help people connect, that was, that was a big, a big uh, element of it was so that we'd know who was, who was working in that and to, to help promote it all. And if there was someone who might be listening from which, whichever part of the world that didn't necessarily have a kind of in-person Webflow community, what advice would you give them? Say they were like, I want to just meet other Webflowers in my local area. How, how do I even go about doing that? What would you recommend? Well, that, I mean, there's a number of things. Get on a stream, right? Watch a stream, say hi in the chat, say where you're from. If somebody else is from the same area or nearby, perhaps you can connect, right? Pay attention to who's out there. Look at, you know, the web flow pages for, you know, part well, experts or whatever and see if there's somebody in your region. Get on Twitter. You'll you'll find people. Teach somebody else that you know how to work with Webflow and then get together and talk about it. Right. There's ways. It's and, and Webflow's going to grow, right? It's still in its infancy in terms of its reach into the web design community, but it's growing constantly. So even if there isn't somebody now, there may be down the road. So let's now go into your, your three failures that you kindly sent me. Tell me about failure number one, forgetting you had ADHD for nearly 10 years. <laughs> okay, so... So, well, one of the things about having ADHD is, is it's about the executive functions, right? That, that your executive functions like planning, organizing are affected. And one of the other things that it affects is working memory. So seeing something, being able to hold on to it in your mind, doing something else. I, I have this amazing ability to kind of be like, okay, I got to do this. I have to do this. And it's at this time, I have to do this and I have to do this. And 30 seconds before that time comes and I'm supposed to do that thing, I'm gone. My brain goes somewhere else. And it's like that thing never existed. And about 20 minutes later, I go, oh, shoot, I was supposed to do that. It's 
it's quite uncanny at times. Um, but so that sort of memory, it you get used to being you, right? And but the diagnosis that I had was was sort of a likely to have. So I don't have a full on diagnosis of ADHD done by a clinic or a you know blah blah blah. It was done by a psychotherapist who said we should do this test. I think this might be an answer for you because I'd been going to therapy for years trying to figure out why I just I just didn't seem to be getting ahead, why I had self, low self-esteem, why I had all sorts of things that I just didn't feel like I was going forward. And at this point, when I saw this woman, I was already living in the country, working on my own, trying to run a business and and not feeling like I was getting anywhere and having a hard time focusing and concentrating. And so she did this test and and it was like, okay, great. But that was sort of late 2000s, 2007, eight, somewhere in there. And there wasn't as much help as there is now. There wasn't as much talk about it. There weren't as many books about it. And so the book I chose probably wasn't the most helpful one in terms of guiding me towards something. I stopped seeing that therapist because she was back in the city and it was difficult to get there. And I just kind of went on doing what I was doing and forgot that perhaps part of the reason that I struggled was this problem where my brain doesn't work in all the same ways as somebody who doesn't have ADHD. And so I kind of forgot about it. And it meant that I struggled for a long time before uh, someone I was in, uh, that group I had mentioned earlier, somebody had posted on Facebook, in this Facebook group, that he'd just been diagnosed with ADHD. And he said, now I understand why this, 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 and this have been problems for me. And I'm like going, oh, those are all the things I'm struggling with. Those are all the things I've been struggling with all these years. And it's like, oh, I hadn't quite put all of it together that that was those were the, you know, that ADHD was the reason I was struggling, not that I was a bad person or had character flaws or that, you know, I was incapable of things. And at that point it was like, okay, now I need to start reading the real books, the proper ones that will help me. So the thing about ADHD is that it, it just means your brain works a little differently. You, you make different connections, but it also means that it takes a lot more stimulation, right? The, the chemicals in your, you just need more of the chemicals in your brain that push you to motivate you to do things, to you know, stop procrastinating. We all procrastinate, right? You know, none of this is sort of unnatural human activity. It's, you know, we all forget things. We all lose our keys from time to time. We all put things off. You know, it's like, those are, those are all natural, but it just takes that much more, you know, when the motivators aren't the same as other people, right? When you, it just takes that much more dopamine in your brain to get you to take the next step to move forward. And so you start to question your abilities. You start to question that it's something wrong with you as opposed to something that works differently in your brain. But at the same time, it's like, I can, I can do all sorts of things that somebody without ADHD can't do. I can handle a 16-hour work day if I have to, day after day after day. That, that was the thing about working in theater was that, you know, I know people who don't like, you know, not having a, a strict nine-to-five schedule and, and, and therefore that kind of work just wouldn't work for them. For me, the stimulation of being out on the road, 
having a different theater to deal with, having new people to interact with every day. That was that was fun, right? And having that, you know, pressure of the the you know the show starting at eight o'clock and we have to be ready to go. Those were the things that stimulated my brain. Back to, you know, being a freelancer. A person with ADHD as a freelancer has a tough time because they don't have the structure and they don't necessarily have that accountability. You have accountability to the client to get that work done. But in terms of building your own business, moving forward, doing those things that you need to do, posting on social media, telling, you know, networking, all of those things are a lot harder because there, there isn't anybody telling you, you need to do this by five o'clock. And so you start to question your capabilities or all of that. And that's, that often leads to low self-esteem, which is something a lot of ADHD people struggle with as well. And it sounds like from, from what you're saying that you are giving advice to, you know, if someone has ADHD that's listening, mm-hmm. don't beat yourself up. Yes, there are things that you struggle more with, but there's also huge advantages uh, in mm-hmm. some respects and some scenarios in life with ADHD. Would you recommend to someone who has ADHD, who's a Webflow freelancer, for example, to kind of try and implement some kind of structure so that they can get tasks done or or are you saying, you know what, actually, you just need to let your body work however you want it to work and, and just you'll make it happen if a client has a deadline? Well, I can tell you that that doesn't always happen. <laughs> <laughs> so what I would say is if somebody isn't sure, right, there's a test, I'll give you a link to it that you can put in the show notes that, you know, it's not a definitive. It's the test that, that my therapist gave to me. And it, it's basically a series of questions and you sort of, you know, are answering how often something is a problem. And all it suggests is, you know, if you answer a certain number of these things that, you know, happen more often for you, then it's possible you may have. But there's all sorts of other things that could be going on, right? Maybe you've got dyslexia. Maybe there's, you know, a, a number of different things. Maybe it's just anxiety, you know, but there's a lot of things that kind of come along with ADHD. So sometimes there's more than one element in there. So take that information and go and try to find somebody who can give you a full diagnosis. And that's the one thing that I, I, you know, I wish I'd had, and I still could, I just have to find the dollars for it. Cause that's not, a, that's not something our, our healthcare system provides for free is is to go through a whole process the younger you are the easier i mean it's hard but you know the younger you are the more people you have that you can you know that the the therapist can refer to right asking your parents how you know certain things you did as a child or looking at your report cards some kids you know the teacher will be saying over and over and over would be great if they just applied themselves a little harder or often stares out the window, seems to kind of daydream a lot. Some of those things are little triggers or, or, or telltale signs, right? So there's a lot of places that information can come from and, and um, getting a diagnosis then can help you find the right direction to go, right? And then finding a coach perhaps who can help you put some of those structural things in place, help you improve that executive, those executive functions that are difficult for you in a very supportive way, right? Because we're really hard on ourselves. That's one of the things that I think most people I have come across talk about is that they're just really hard on themselves 
because they see other people doing things that they expect they should be able to do as well. Tell me about failure number two then, not asking for help early or often enough. Okay, actually it relates back to ADHD. It's, it's, it's not special to me by any means. A lot of people have difficulty asking for help because it is, it, in our minds, it's showing weakness. It's saying, I don't know. And we're, we think we're supposed to know, right? We have high expectations of ourselves and we, everybody has expectations of ourselves, right? And, and feeling like we're supposed to have that answer. Uh, so it, it gets, it's a place of vulnerability to ask for help. And, you know, and it's like, it's, it's unwarranted because mm-hmm. nobody has all the answers. I ask a lot of questions, right? Like I ask a lot of questions of, you know, on streams or whatnot. Um, I'm often thinking about, you know, other people when I'm asking those questions. It's like, I might know the answer to that, but I might ask a question that helps somebody else and get that answer. But for me to ask for help is hard to put it in, you know, to put it out there. I was thinking about, you know, why is that? The system I used to build websites in was a great content management system, but, you know, they, they were very clear about, you know, you should know HTML, CSS, PHP because, you know, and then you could do all these fancy things and it really helps if you know JavaScript too. And it's like, well, I'm kind of okay with HTML and CSS. The rest of it, I don't know. I can figure out enough PHP to understand what's going on, but I can't tell you how to write it. I don't know any of that stuff. I've got Mm -hmm. books, can't work my way through the books. And so it was very clear, clearly also laid out that don't ask a question in the help forum if you don't know what you're talking about, (laughs) you know, like, there, you know, it's like, there are lots of dumb questions, right? We always say there's no dumb questions. It's like, no, in this forum, it's like, there are lots of dumb questions. <laughs> and if you haven't, you know, and if you also don't lay out exactly what you've done and why you're still having a problem with this, then it's impossible for us to answer and give you a, an answer if we don't know what you've already f- tried to figure out. So what it did was it pushed me to you know, it, it made me feel like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing, so I can't ask a question. But also it, it pushed me in a good way to try to figure out the answer to things before I just popped in and started asking stupid questions. Because they were questions that would have come from a level of, you know, from a lack of, of basic knowledge that they were expecting you had. So it, it was good in that it pushed me to try to figure things out. And it still does. Like I still, you know, try to figure out as much as I can on my own. I think I learn better if I do that than if I just ask a, you know, off the top of my head question without without really digging through, you know, what what the answer might be. But also in, you know, and in trying to figure out what is my question, I often find the answer. But it's still it's still hard to get out there and ask for help. Mm. Partly because I, because then I get into my little anxious thing about, well, what if that answer isn't right? Or what if it was the wrong question? <laughs> it was like a whole bunch of things that are just like, you know what, just ask for help. It's not such a big deal. Yeah, it's it's really funny when you have this kind of internal questioning of your own questions. And you're like, oh, no, I'm just not going to ask. Like, you know what the effort of asking someone and potentially looking like an idiot Mm -hmm. that stress is far worse than just keeping it to myself but 
it's having the boldness to ask for help that you know is gonna is gonna get you an answer sometimes but but also like you say in reverse if you're asking an expert a question who might just say well look go go find out the answer yourself that may also help so at what point were you like I've just got to ask more questions when did you what was the turning point for you where you were just like you know what I I I actually just need to ask people more questions because I've try to figure this out and I can't and I'm just going to do it and I'm potentially going to look like an idiot but I'm going to do it anyway oh I still struggle with it you know but I'm right now I posted something in a slack channel yesterday asking you know how would I do this and I got one helpful thing and one kind of you know well I knew that I you know it's like well make a lottie file it's like I I know that I don't I'm just trying to figure out I got a whole lot of things I got to figure out in order to do that and this is an an unusual case I was kind of hoping for a little more help (laughs) but anyway I'm still struggling with it you know Mm. I will still spend a long time trying to figure something out before I will ask and and then I will either kind of go you know maybe there's a different way of doing this because it's easy to get caught up in in an idea like okay this is you know this is the direction that this has to go and then you kind of find out that that was probably the harder thing maybe there is a simpler way of doing it um yeah it's still it's still hard i i can't say that it's easy but i have to keep remembering that people like to help i think that's maybe part of it too it's like people like to be helpful i like to be helpful i like it if somebody asks me and i can offer you know some advice or uh you know, I'll go trolling them sometimes through a Slack channel, kind of, it's like, who's got a problem? Is there, a, is there a problem I can solve? Because I don't feel like I can solve most people's problems when it comes to web flow or technical things. But it's like, if there is something I can solve, I like to be able to at least offer that. And I definitely think the web flow community is generally far more supportive, especially in Twitter. I'm not sure if you've been on the Facebook one too much, but I find that mm-hmm. one's like, you don't want to ask a dumb question in there, I've found. But... Yeah, I, I do. De- I definitely find that the Webflow community has helped make it easier. I'm probably not pushing myself technically to the point where I need to ask a lot of questions yet, but maybe, you know, and, and my technical skills are probably better than I think they are, which will lead us to that third question. Um, mm. But But I don't feel like I can't ask the questions. Yeah, so explore all the options to, to try and work out the answer yeah. and if you can't do that then you've got a very valid reason to ask um, yeah. you know, community hey here's what I've tried here's you know the result which is not mm-hmm. what I want how do I get that result yeah um, I think that's really yeah. good advice I think the other thing too is developing relationships with people beforehand like certainly working in no, with no code north right I've got Maggie and Jeremy now and I've got you know the no code north people that you know I can ask. I I feel a lot less intimidated asking because I have those interactions with them all the time. Whereas if it's, you know, you're just kind of coming out of the blue asking in general some question, that can sort of hold you back. So find the people who you really connect with. Tell me about failure number three then. Not finding out soon enough what your work is worth and finding clients who will pay for it. Okay, well, there's another one I still struggle with. Remember when I said I'm not sure that I've actually dealt with all of these failures yet? Um, yeah, so 
I have, I've gone through phases where it's like, I, and I've read, you know, the books and done the courses on value pricing and this and that and the other, and I still underprice, but I hadn't realized quite how far I underprice, particularly with in Webflow. But I, because I live in an area that's a couple of miles, a couple of hours outside of a major city, it's a small, there's just a couple of small cities nearby, but they're not big. And it was an area that wasn't doing really well economically when we moved here. It's doing much better now. It's sort of become an area people really want to come to from a tourism point of view. And so the, the area is growing. And especially during the pandemic, people started moving out of the city and finding this really beautiful area where we are. So there's sort of always been this mentality that, you know, well, stuff, that's expensive, right? And so I would, you know, price things based on, my understanding of what the what that work was worth from you know wherever i was getting that information from and that you know it's like i find that people in the us can can price things much higher than they can here maybe that's because there's more competition for the clients right so they're trying to get a, a leg up or they're more willing to invest in their businesses. I'm not sure exactly what it is that makes it easier, it seems, to charge what things are worth in the US. But here in Canada, it doesn't seem as easy. And again, that may be the clients that I'm finding. So when you don't have a big pool of clients to choose from, you you start to take what whatever comes. And a lot of the clients that I've worked with have been very small businesses. And so, you know, you say that it's going to cost this much and they're like they can't even imagine right so you try and do some education and i also recognize that i tend to overbuild right because i see i love i love more so than making boxes line up i love figuring out what is um you know how do we take this information and how do we lay it out and i tend to maybe make things more complex than they should be, which puts a lot of work on my plate, does some really neat things, but the client has no clue, right? They just see a website. They don't know what went on to put all of that together. And so you start to question, well, am I, am I expensive? And when somebody says, no, you're expensive, right? And they're the person that you were, you know, that it was a fellow I had who was bringing business to me, was referring business to me. And he eventually said, you're expensive. And it's like, I think it was he's working with the wrong kind of clients for me. And I just don't have anybody else to bring me clients. But that's hard when you hear that from somebody who's supposedly helping you, you know, find more work that, you know, so you start to underprice things again. So this week, I, oh, I've tried in the past, uh, that group that I mentioned I was part of before, at one point, I asked my my mentor within that group what she would have charged for this particular website that had all sorts of stuff, right? She got stuck on one thing that was missing. It was a, a fairly important thing, but it wasn't that important for this client. And I just wanted to know from a technical point of view, all the things that I had put into this site, what might that be worth? I never got an answer because she got stuck on this thing. So I you know, I'm I'm always a little afraid of asking what somebody thinks, even out in that world, because maybe it's not what I think it is. Maybe it's it's not worth any more than than what I've been charging. So this week I was 
bold enough in a, in a, a private call with a, a few people to ask, showed them a site I'd built, and they basically, at the end of it, sort of said, the number I chose or that I had billed the client, their, their numbers were two to four times higher than what I had charged. And I thought I'd done pretty well with that. I knew I put a lot of work into it and more than I should have, but it was kind of like, oh, but now I have to find that kind of client because I like doing that kind of work. I'm not a fancy designer, so I don't have that visual to excite somebody about, right? Clients don't get excited about databases and conditional logic and things like that, right? And oh, we can do this cool thing, right? That's that's so I haven't quite figured out yet how to find those right clients and sell to them. And have you have you thought about potentially working for an agency as a, a kind of permalancer? Because I, I think a lot of people who are in the Webflow freelance space, they're like, how do I get more clients? How do I get mm-hmm. more clients? Or how can I get higher paying clients? But but I think sometimes the problem is actually just consistency of paid work. And once you have that consistency of paid work, you have consistent things for your portfolio. You have consistent things to put on social media. You have consistent build in public. You know, you, I'm, I'm, working yeah. this, I'm working on this. And and that can be kind of like a, an engine for you to actually get your own client. So I'm just intrigued to mm-hmm. ask you now, have you ever thought, well, instead of trying to get my own clients, maybe I could service someone else's clients. I it's it's been crossing my mind, and I think the thing that I was that I've been struggling with is that I haven't felt like my webflow skills are quite there, right? Even though, yeah, I can do lots of things. I feel, um, I, there are still things that I'm I'm not as skilled at, and I'm a little afraid. I hate failing, so I I'm a little afraid to put myself into a situation where those that, that lack of skill in certain things and yes I get stupid because I'm quite capable of learning and figuring things out right and and asking questions because I do have people now that I can ask you know how do I do this thing and I see people asking all the time how do I do this thing it's like well why would that be so hard for me to do so yes it's been crossing my mind and I just I've been wanting to just get a little bit more skilled um, so I've been working my way through, you know, I, because I had all that background and I spent all those years building websites, I just kind of launched into building with Webflow and I didn't have to go through that whole learning curve of, you know, what's a box model and, you know, what are margin and padding and how do I work with them, right? So I, I there are sort of whole elements of Webflow that I kind of skipped over and haven't had to deal with much like animations and, and things like that. So I'm I'm just kind of trying to up my skills so that, and that's probably uh, not a great reason not to reach out to, to somebody. <laughs> well, I'm just intrigued. I mean, I've looked at your the websites that you've done. I can I can tell you now there are definitely agencies that are looking to hire freelancers and have hired freelancers with less skill set than you. So I'm just you know intrigued as to kind of the <laughs> thought process behind behind why why you haven't. And but yeah, I'm more than happy to put you in contact with agencies after the call if you want to, okay. if you wanted to, but. So, so you remember what I said about ADHD earlier and low self-esteem, right? Mm. It, it all kind of, all of these things tie together. This, the fear of failure, you know, can be a motivator to, to make you push forward. It can also sometimes be a, a, something that holds you way back from putting yourself out there. 
So, um, you know, and, and the low self-esteem makes it hard to kind of push yourself and put yourself forward because you just can't imagine that that you would be of value to somebody. And I'm happy if anybody wants to have a chat, you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk. Awesome. And where should they, where should they do that if they were going to reach out to you, Penny? Uh, well, um, my non-Webflow website is buildmarketing.ca, but the easiest way to reach me is on Twitter, um, mm. at Penny Olo. And I'm on LinkedIn as well under Penny Olo Renshaw. So I'll give you those links. Awesome. I'll put those in the footer then. Now, I have a harder question to finish this okay. interview on. All right. What is your next failure going to be? Uh, well, I'm, I can tell you what I hope it's not. Um, one of the pitfalls of working on the web is that we spend an awful lot of time sitting. And I have not invested in a sit-stand desk before, and I haven't yet. Um, but what I have been discovering is that I'm as, as, as I get a little older, because I am, um, I am starting to have physical manifestations of all of that sitting. Uh, so I'm trying to get out and walk more. Um, we do have a sort of an exercise routine that we do in the mornings, but it's still not enough to, you know, really get out. And so I'm pushing myself to get out and walk more and I've just invested in a treadmill and it's coming any day now. And I also invested in this little unit that can sit on top of the treadmill arms and allow me to work when I'm walking at a slow pace so that at least I'm moving more than I am. So I'm hoping that that's not going to be a failure. Thanks for listening to episode 24 with Penny. The bit that really stands out for me in this episode is when Penny talks about how her ADHD affects her work. As Penny explains, ADHD affects the executive function, which is like the brain's self-management system. I think there's a lot of freelance advice thrown out on social media that doesn't account for the unique needs of the individual freelancer that sees that advice. So I think it's really, really useful to hear about Penny's struggles as someone with ADHD and a freelancer. Next episode, we'll have Alan Tobin on the podcast. We'll be talking about charging for websites, containers, code, loads of good stuff in this next week's episode. Until next time, web flavors. <laughs>